Hello and welcome to Inside the Squad, a community outreach podcast brought to you by the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is hosted by Lieutenant Scott Galloway and Specialist Shauna Wainscott of the Community Outreach and Crime Prevention Unit within the department. We discuss all topics related to the day-to-day operations of the Lafayette Police Department, and we feature interviews with officers and other public safety personnel who want to give you an inside look at law enforcement. Our goal is that you find this podcast interesting and informative, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Squad. I'm your host, Scott Galloway, with Brian Gossard and Shauna Wainscott. And Brian, how's it going today? It's going really well. Hey, just real quick, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing um, with getting intelligence and doing different type of patrol paradigm that we've been working with? Sure. There's Over the last few years, there's been a big push for um, using our resources in a more efficient way. So that means gathering more intelligence um, to use our limited uh, manpower, um, you know, instead of just spreading out over the city and hopefully we run into something, uh, using our officers to investigate crimes where, or um, you know, suspect crimes where we can actually make a difference and um, you know, not just hope we come into contact with a criminal. And how's that been working for you so far? It's been limited so far, but... Yeah, we so um, Specialist Wayne Scott has um, supplied us with some intelligence briefs so uh, it, it kind of saves us time in trying to research um, tips that come in, um, and then we can deploy our resources uh, as needed. And that's why the public's so important to give us those tips, because now we can maybe do something with them with uh, Specialist Wayne's got to, to make something out of those. Right. And the, good segue. So, Shauna, how's it going for you? It's going really good. And uh, along with those intelligence briefings you've been doing, you also have a special uh, event happening in January. Could you tell us about that? Yes, so for 2018, basically what I've been wanting to do is hold an outreach talk at least once a month on different topics that the uh, kind of got some input from the public through next door of what they'd be interested in hearing us discuss or talk about. So our very first one on January 23rd is going to be a drug outreach, and we're kind of just going to discuss basically the most common drugs that we're seeing here in Lafayette, uh, a little bit about the drugs, how to know if somebody's on those type of drugs, and then we're also going to have Sergeant Milady from our street crimes unit come in and discuss kind of what they're doing, what the public can do to help them combat the drug problems here in Lafayette. So again, that's going to be the 23rd and it's from six to seven 30 and currently it's sold out at 115 seats. All right. So that's, that's great that the community is that interested to come out on their own time to, to watch something like that. So good job. And just a a head nod to uh, Patty Payne, who's our, communications organizer for the city, uh, marketing, and she's here today. And we'd also like to thank Alan and Tom, our tech guys, for uh, editing our show and producing it. So thanks, guys, for being here. And our special guest today is Mike Humphrey. He is a criminal investigator uh, with the Lafayette Detectives, Lafayette Police Department Detective Unit. And so welcome, Mike. Thanks for being here today. Good morning. And I know it's kind of short notice for you to uh, get the nod to do this podcast, but we appreciate it. And today we're going to talk about fraud. And so before we get into some questions about fraud and your experiences, can you tell us about uh, your entry into law enforcement, what you did prior to to law enforcement, and uh, just explain that a little bit? Sure. So I didn't take kind of the typical law enforcement path uh, in college. I knew probably in high school that I wanted to be a police officer. I went to Purdue University. 
my degree was in uh, ag econ, but I'm not from a farming background, but they offered like a sales and marketing specialty. So got my degree from Purdue University and then uh, prior to graduation applied to different agencies and uh, worked for the state police for five years. And then in 2002 was hired by uh, Lafayette Police. Did you have some banking experience before that? I uh, did have some a banking background, um, worked for a brokerage firm, and also as a personal banker for a local bank. And did, did that experience lead you to kind of where you're at now, investigating financial crimes, or did you just get picked to do that? I was kind of a – there was an opening to work those types of investigations. Uh, started off in our juvenile section, and this opening in, uh, came up, so I put in for it. Uh, kind of volunteered, I guess, and I've uh, been working those types of crimes in addition to, uh, you know, the various other types of criminal investigations uh, throughout my years in detectives. And so it keeps you busy because uh, fraud and, and theft is the number one crime committed all over the world. So um, I'm sure you're no shortage for work, right? Correct, correct. And, and even in that, um, you're not exempt from being targeted as a, a fraud uh, victim. So can you tell us a little bit about a time when you may have been vic uh, victimized or attempted to be victimized by fraud? Sure. So we were talking earlier with, um, you know, people get phone calls all the time from the, we call it the IRS scam, where a lot of times it's a voicemail that you'll receive initially, usually to your cell phone. And um, so a couple of us detectives actually had received some of those voicemails on our cell phones. And... I don't encourage people to call the number back. Uh, typically, the IRS is not going to contact you by phone if, they're, if it's a legitimate issue or concern. But um, I called the number back in an attempt to try to discover how they were going to to uh, get payment, how they were going to kind of how the fraud was going to work. And so when I called the number back, I made up a name and you know, the person on the other end of the, the line basically, you know, sounded like he was typing on a computer and um, said, oh, and checking your file and, you know, going through taxes, you know, over the last five to seven years, you know, I think it was like, it was a crazy amount, like $14,000. It was a made up name. So, oh yeah, made up he name. He wasn't doing anything on the back end. You know, so he pulled up this number out of, out of the air, you know, $14,000 or something in back taxes. And then he went into potential penalties you know, if you don't pay, um, you know, different things, driver's license suspended, subject to arrest, uh, warrants, all this this uh, type of, I guess, scare tactic to try to, to motivate you to, to make payment. So I kind of played along initially, and I said, you know, that, um, you know, well, I want to take care of this today. You know, this is a big concern. And I said, but I don't have that kind of money. And then, of course, the next question was, well, how much money do you have, <laughs> right? So, and I think I said like a, a low amount. And so then he like continues typing and he says, well, according to your file, you know, we can only accept a thousand dollars is the minimum and said, well, I don't have that, that kind of money. So this, this went on and actually I was transferred to a couple of different people. And I think eventually they caught on. Um, and, and then they ended the call and, you know, people ask all the time, to kind of segue into this, well, you know, you're a police officer. Why don't you investigate, you know, who's making these calls? And, I, and I'll tell you that technology, both good and bad, but in this day and age, it's it's very difficult to, to backtrack that call. Um, it may tell us it's in a particular location when actually it's, you know, in another part of the world. So, 
the chances of actually tracking that individual down or a specific location would be difficult to do. Um, so that, that was that example. Of, well, I know when we do outreach talks, um, and we also tell people to call the police, and we encourage people to call, right? You, you want to know about the frauds, but the, the reality is, is once you part with your money in that fashion, you're not going to get it back. In most cases, you know, it's case-specific, obviously. And, you know, if, if you get one of these calls and you didn't fall victim to it, there was no monetary loss, you didn't share any personal information with the person on the phone, then, you know, there really isn't a reason to call the police at that point. Um, yes, we want to be aware of the different types of scams or, or frauds that are being committed, but uh, most times we're aware of that through other reports. But it's, So if you're not an actual victim, if you just received a phone call, because my guess is that, that citywide, statewide, the, the number of phone calls per day to individuals is you know overwhelming and a, a large number. And so uh, typically, if I would say to make a report, if you actually gave, if you uh, made the mistake of giving personal information over the phone or... Um, there was a financial loss, then, then make a police report at that point. And many people may not know about this, but there's a way to do that online without even having a police officer come or calling the police. You can just do it online if you're web, web savvy or tech savvy to, to go on our website and um, make that complaint, and it gets logged in. So then that gets forwarded to you guys and detectives then that you'd be aware of that. Correct. Okay. What, what would you say that is the most common type of fraud or uh or maybe something that's kind of popular uh, recently? Um, in terms of most common, it might be difficult to narrow down maybe a specific one. Keep in mind, a lot of these are kind of the same flavor, same variety, I guess would be a, a good way to describe it. There may just be different variations or twists. The bottom line is they're trying to motivate you to make payment to them in some fashion, right? And, you know, all of us sitting here and even people listening to the podcast would say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than that. I would never fall victim to that type of scam or fraud. Well, the reality of it is a lot of these people that are making those phone calls, um, they're very savvy, right? Um, they're hoping it's a numbers game. They're hoping they call, you know, out of 100 people, they might get a certain number to respond out of those calls. So they, they prey on kind of our emotion uh, they prey on the fact that, you know, everybody has a monetary need and they, they make it sound too good to be true. And so I would say, you know, if I had to limit to maybe a, a certain type, it would be the fact that they're trying to motivate you um, maybe to go out and get gift cards to make payment to them or to wire money to you or to them for payment. Uh, we used to see, you know, Craigslist is a, is a, a valuable tool in terms of selling items but sometimes um, a few years back, I'd gotten a big stack of envelopes uh, where basically checks were sent uh, to these individuals here in our city. And when I backtracked the checks, I, I learned that a lot of uh, the people they were sent to were basically they had some, some sort of ad on Craigslist, whether they were selling a service, you know, um, like lessons, pitching lessons for your kid, uh, selling a car, selling whatever. And so someone had contacted them in response to the ad, and, and there was an agreed-upon price, and they said, okay, we're going to send you a check. Well, when they get the check in the mail, then it's for more than the amount than what was agreed upon. So, you know, our, our first reaction would be, 
as individuals be like, why am I getting more than what we agreed upon? So then you contact that person back and they say, oh, that was my mistake. You know, for your trouble, go ahead and cash the check. Keep, you know, X amount of dollars for yourself. And then if you could, wire the money back to me or go purchase gift cards at the store and then call me back and read those numbers back to me. So we, you know, we would refer to that as like an overpayment scheme type thing. Um, I would say that's probably common. You know, you might get a phone call where an elderly person might get a phone call and say, well, your grandchild has uh, got into some legal trouble. Uh, maybe it's in another state, maybe even uh, overseas someplace. And, you know, you need to post money uh, for, for him or her. And so then the, the big key kind of red flag would be either where they ask you to wire the money to them or to um, get a gift card again. So I would say those two um, items, either to wire the money um, or to go out and purchase gift cards and read those numbers over the phone or to type those into response to an email, those should be two big red flags that, hey, something's not right here. Um, again, they're playing on your emotion. I would suggest maybe, you know, if you are contacted over the phone or receive an email type thing, then to go to someone you trust and say, what do you think of this deal? Does this, I think it sounds too good to be true, but what's your opinion? And um, we had a case one time where, you know, the big lottery, uh, not lottery, but uh, clearinghouse type thing where they, you know, they come to your house with balloons and a van. And again, these people are pretty savvy. Well, they said, don't tell your family or friends about it because we want them to be surprised. You know, when we show up with the balloons and the van type thing at your house with the big check. And so, you know, again, they're, they're playing on all these things because you think, well, I've seen that on TV. I've seen that commercial. And what if this is true? You know, because like I said earlier, we're all smart enough. We feel like we wouldn't fall victim to this, but in our gut, we're like, now, wait a minute. What if I am passing up this opportunity to some windfall? Um, you know, another one might be a lottery. You know, I, I joke around about, you know, you're the winner of the Canadian lottery or, whatever location lottery, you know, just pick, pick a location. Well, the common, I guess the normal response would be, did you ever play that? Did you ever buy a ticket to that lottery? And if the answer is no, then there should be no reason that you're responding to that type of solicitation or. So, so the common denominator is emotion, whether it's negative emotion or positive emotion to part with your money. Right. And, so when I worked the street, um, one of the big scams obviously was uh, saying that you have an overdue Duke Energy bill or a Comcast bill. And we know that these scammers are getting smart about routing through local numbers and basically covering up what they're doing. So if somebody gets a call from, let's say they claim to be Duke Energy and that they owe a past due amount on a bill, what can this person do to determine whether this is for sure a scam, not a scam? I mean, should they just pay the money or... What should they do? All right, good question. So, and I, I remember a little while back where a lot of these calls were coming on like a Friday late in the, the afternoon for, for a business, right? And a lot of these businesses that stay open over the weekend were like, oh, we can't go without power for, you know, that amount of time. We better take care of this. So there was a sense of urgency. And so my suggestion is, you know, and you mentioned this, it's very easy to make a phone number appear that it's coming from a certain location or a certain number. So my suggestion in that case would be to dig out an old statement and look for the customer service number or to check another resource to find out the customer service number for that. We'll say it's an energy company 
electric company. Um, do that first instead of calling the number that's either listed in if it's from an email or a phone call that shows up on caller ID. So go that direction. Or if you have time, you know, if there's a local office or if it's from a bank, go down to the bank. Go see someone face-to-face at that, at that particular service uh, or business and, and get clarification on if you do have a past amount. Again, a lot of times they'll, you know, again, they're very savvy. So they'll make, if it comes in an email format or a letter format, they're going to make it appear that it came from a legitimate business as much as they can. They may use a, a logo. Um, you know, they've done the research to make it appear that it's from a local establishment. So, again, it's, it's better to go face-to-face. If it's after hours, you're not able to do that, then I would suggest to basically go to some other resource to try to figure out what is the number for customer service other than what's listed. Uh, one time I got an email to kind of segue into this. I got an email from a credit card company and I actually have that credit card, but um, it was the tech guys can explain this better than I can. But basically when I looked closer at this and it basically said my account had been compromised, wanted me to, you know, click on a, a, a section of this email And so, you know, the first reaction is, you know, my gosh, my accounts, you know, something's wrong with my account. Well, when I looked at the email closer, the email didn't even come to, it wasn't even addressed to me. And so what I did is I dug my credit card out of my wallet and I got the customer service number from the credit card versus what was listed in the email. And so then I called them and they said, no, we wouldn't, we don't send those types of emails type thing. So again, check another resource other than what you know, the solicitation you received or the phone call you received just to make sure. So you mentioned a couple of ways to kind of verify whether something is uh, legitimate or not. Go reach out to a, a trusted person, family, friend. Uh, also check, do your research and check the uh, uh, websites or call, go to go down to the business face-to-face. Are there any ways to protect yourself in advance or be proactive? There are. And, and, you know, I give a lot of talks in the community about um, ID theft and frauds and scams and that kind of thing. And, and especially lately, I would say, and this isn't meant to scare people, but the reality of it is there's no way to 100% protect your information. In this day and age, you know, with, with ease and convenience, it's um, very likely, and, you know, if you look in the news, there's been all uh, various credit card breaches um, at major retailers and, and different, uh, there was a health insurance breach a while back. So your information is out there. And, it, it, and you know, it, the, the days of having it, like, under lock and key, secure, where no one's going to have access to it, unfortunately, is, is probably not the reality. So what I tell people is, you know, do these safeguards to try to limit the amount of exposure that, that you're going to have or the amount of information that is available out there. Um, you know, the, the days of, you know, and I don't know how many people have a shredder, but when you get solicitations or, or documents in the mail that contain personal information, you know, either tear it up or put it through a shredder, um, that would be one thing. I would limit the, the number of items that you're carrying in your wallet or in your purse. Um, you know, if you have five, ten credit cards, don't carry all five or ten in, in your, uh, on your person at once. You know, kind of think of it from the standpoint, if, if I were to lose this, this wallet or purse, 
you know, what would be very difficult to replace? Um, or, you know, what would I need to do to, to try to cancel all of these cards if I needed to do it right away? Um, I would also tell people to make copies um, of the front and back of your credit cards. Keep that in a secure location. In the event that you do lose your wallet or purse, it, then you've got one piece, one document basically with all the account numbers, all the uh, customer service numbers to contact. Um, I would say routinely check your, your accounts, whether it be your bank accounts, your credit card accounts. And that way you'll notice if there's, and, and a lot of times if there, if there are suspicious charges, they're going to be from a, a location maybe not that's not local. And so you should be able to recognize, like, I didn't make this charge. Um, I would say, too, if you're doing online purchases, try to only do that with one credit card, you know, versus spreading it out over five different cards. That way, again, you're going to recognize that uh, fairly quickly. Hey, hey, Mike, just real quick, too. Um, I know a lot, there are a lot of uh, with smartphones and things like that, you get alerts. So um, you can even get an alert every time a charge is made on your car, which is nice to see that immediately coming in that feedback and that way you know hey i didn't make that charge immediately so um the immediacy of finding out that you've been victimized is important because um that way you don't it doesn't go on and on and on so you get a credit card stolen you could have 10 charges by the time you ever recognize right do you experience that when you yeah, do cases and, and i would say too and i you know I've, I've heard from other people too like sometimes they get you know they're like oh i got all these alerts or a charge didn't go through when they were on vacation and again, think of it from a convenience standpoint. It's it's there as a protection for you in the event that you did not make those charges to kind of give you that that early warning. And so I would say, you know, again, in a lot of those those services, you can set up a specific amount, so you're not getting a charge for every ten dollar or a text for every ten dollar charge. You know, you can set a certain dollar amount. Um, again, I want to know. Uh, if it, if if a charge goes through and it, it's it kind of meets a, a different criteria, um, a lot of times a lot of these companies are very good at catching those, and they'll say you know they'll send you just a courtesy email or text. Did you make this make this purchase? Um, so yeah, and there's all kinds of subscriber services out there, uh, LifeLock, uh, different things like that. Uh, I would say check with either your bank or your own credit card company. There's, there's all kinds of variations. Um, I don't basically promote a particular service, but I do, I do see their value. I use some of those services. Um, the Equifax breach was probably, um, that really got my attention. Um, you know, that hit the news a couple months ago. And then even like I mentioned, one of the insurer, uh, insurance companies that had a breach a year or two ago. Well, the Indiana Attorney General then came out and said they recommended everybody, every Hoosier, uh, place a security freeze or credit freeze on their account. And I would suggest to every every person, if you haven't done that, to do that. And that's not going to stop all cases, right, of fraud. But basically what that does is it prevents a suspect from opening a new account in, in your name, right? And because we are in Indiana um, – Sometimes there's a fee to, to place the security freeze or to take it on and off. But because we're Indiana residents, there shouldn't be a fee. Um, the other thing I would say, too, to keep in mind, if you're going to go out and make a big purchase and you have that security freeze in place, you kind of have to remember that because it's, it's limiting the access to your credit reports. And obviously, if you're applying for credit, they need access to it. 
you can specify companies or banks that you want to have access during a certain time period, um, or you can remove that freeze. Um, I used to tell people to kind of plan ahead that, you know, like a three to five day business business window for that, but it's actually, uh, depending on the credit bureau, it can be very simple. It can be done within a matter of minutes. So they're going to buy a car, go maybe, buy a, maybe car. a call beforehand. That way you don't get to the dealership and yeah, have to deal yeah. with that. But I would suggest if you haven't done that, um, even for your kids to put a security freeze on uh, on their social, secu- social security number, again, it's, it's, it won't affect any of your current accounts. But what it does is it prevents somebody from opening up new accounts in your name. One of the um, suggestions that I might make also from personal uh, experience uh, when you are shopping online, and we all shop online, don't save passwords to sites. And on the different merchant sites, don't store your credit card information there. Yes, it's convenient to come back in later and say, yeah, you got my, my credit card number. Go ahead and use that for the purchase. But if you are compromised, if anybody can get into your account, that's right there for them, and it's just begging them to use it for you. And, we talk, we, and that's good. We talked about convenience. A lot of those sites, you know, they'll say, hey, that way you don't have to reenter it the next time you order. Uh, but, no, that's good. I would also suggest, too, like if it's a site that you you haven't shopped before or you're not familiar with, you know, maybe in another window, uh, what I would do is I would just search, you know, to see if there's any complaints against, um, you know, I, I can think of one example where somebody said, well, what do you think of this? And I, I did that exact same thing. And then, you know, maybe not that it was a scam per se, but it basically said, you know, whatever you order from this, it wasn't the right size, it was wrong, it was whatever it was, uh, but you wouldn't have known that. And, and looking at the site, it looked like, you know, very trustworthy, very um, reputable business. So do a little bit of research before you submit the payment or shop at a particular site. Yeah, the other thing to make sure about when you're shopping on those sites is when you go in to make a payment is make sure make sure that it's a secure site. So it would be the HTTPS mm-hmm. versus just a regular HTTP because if it's not a secure site, then you are open to getting your information stolen. Right. If you forget to look at that, look at the URL window and make sure there's a little padlock that is actually engaged. Yep. So, Mike, I think we'll close it out today. Um, any parting words as far as fraud? like? too good to be true. Don't do it. That's what I always hear. You talk about that a lot and that that's real. Right. And, and as we said earlier, I would just, you know, and this is not, you know, detective Humphrey trying to, I just, I tend to be realistic with things in the, the days of, you know, I tell people don't get attached to that credit card number because, um, it more than likely, you know, just from shopping at a particular location, business, the chances of that card number being compromised at some point during the the life of that card is is uh, very realistic. And you know if you didn't make the charges, and uh, most credit card companies you know have a, a liability protection for their card holders, and there may be some hoops. And, and maybe this is a kind of a good way to end too. If you are the victim of a scam or fraud, keep in mind um, because. Uh, there's limited information that we're going to be able to get even as, as police in doing an investigation. And sometimes it may be easier for the victim to get that information from the particular card company or, or bank or, or business. So I guess I would say, too, to keep in mind that, that 
it's going to be a very frustrating process. It's going to take a, uh, quite a bit of time to, from the time you file a report to maybe where you're compensated or, or when there's some, a suspect is located. Uh, keep that in mind in terms of the, the length of time, the amount of hoops you're going to jump through in terms of getting information and, and researching and that type of thing. Um, there's some good, we, we, we talked about some resources. If, if you do feel that you're the victim, obviously you want to file a, a police report with your local agency, but also ftc.gov is a good location uh, to go to with resources. Um, the Indiana Attorney General's website, uh, they've got all kinds of uh, information, uh, useful information. You know, we talked about the security freeze or credit freeze. Uh, they have kind of a question and answer section on that too if, if someone wants to look into that further. Um, so I would, I would say kind of keep that in mind too if, you're, if you are the victim or even if you're not, just to find out some additional information on what you uh, can expect or what you need to do. So, um, yeah, this is probably fraud is the, and theft is the crime that's going to affect most people, um, and that's where they're going to intersect with, with uh, law enforcement and with the criminal justices with frauds and thefts being the victim. So appreciate you being here today, taking a little bit of time out of your day. Uh, Brian had one last thing. As always, uh, connect with us, with us on uh, social media. We're on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Nextdoor. And I know the city of Lafayette uh, just started a Snapchat account. Patty, that's, that's right. That's right. And we've actually got quite a few followers. We're trying to keep that uh, kind of behind-the-scenes look at, at things that go on in the city. So uh, city Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, of course, LPD started with Nextdoor, and the city has an account on there as well. So uh, lots, of, lots of ways to reach us and interact. Great. So, uh, again, thanks for joining us today for Inside the Squad. We'll be, we'll be back next month for another uh, great episode. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Squad from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Be sure to check out past episodes and subscribe for new ones on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question for the show, you can email it to podcast at lafayette.in.gov or connect with us on Nextdoor, Twitter, and on our website, lafayettepolice.us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Inside the Squad. Inside the Squad.